We'll begin this evening by reading a verse that was drawn to our attention in the handout that you have. Uh, most of you have, I assume you do. Found in Revelation 3.8, says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So we have before us this evening uh, the tenth lesson in this 13-part series on our heritage. Uh, the initial nine sessions were basically historical, foundational studies, and then these next four are going to portray our heritage in action, for lack of a better way to explain it. It's just what happens. It's kind of like I thought in my mind a little bit uh, how the New Testament is set up in its beginnings, how you have the four Gospels that sense the foundation of Christ's teachings, followed by the Acts of the Apostles uh, after the four Gospels, and it was the what they'd learned in action. And so this is the part where uh, our church steps out, and it starts with uh, this lesson on God's call. Foundationally, what we're talking about tonight is God's call to service. Now, we all know that God's call comes, and it comes prime initially uh, in a call to salvation. And this is where lives are, of course, transformed by God. And we understand that with this initial call to salvation, something incredible happens in a person's life, and we love to share it. It's a a real blessing to be able to tell others what Christ has done for us and how uh, we were once lost in sin, we've been redeemed, and we have a story to tell, not about something that we know only, but by something that we've experienced. So when we talk about it, we're really testifying from our experience And so naturally, then, we have this wonderful experience that we feel that we want to um, share, and it seems in order then that we would have an opportunity to do that. And this is where the call of God comes in, where we participate in God's primary message, primary method, by which the news of what he's able to do in a person's life is accomplished and how it's shared. The Great Commission actually says it best, and I'll read it to you. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus departing words to those that were gathered around before he ascended into heaven, and he gave them this command to first go go. I want you to do something. I want you to go. And I want you to teach. So go and teach. And then he follows that up with baptize. That would be assuming that you were effective in the go and the teach part. So then you would have converts to baptize and teach what? He says, all that I have commanded you. So when we read the first four books of the New Testament that I referred to just a few moments ago, we understand the commandments of the Lord and what he intended for his followers to know. And uh, he says, I want you to teach that. And notice, he says, go therefore. Therefore, based on what? I picked up that verse at the end of some other dialogue, but therefore, based on what? He says, verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So, He says, go therefore, because I will enable you to do that. And then he gives us his comforting words. Lo, 
I'm with you always. And if we do as he says, we will have success because of him. It isn't incumbent upon us. It's because we do what he's instructed us to do. And then the success will come because of what he enables us to do. And he gets all the glory and the honor. So as we approach this session here about call to service, um, we do this by paying tribute to uh, how our church came into being. Uh, our founder was called by God to establish this work in God's name. And uh, last session, I believe it was, that we explored our beginnings in the Azusa Street Revival in, in Los Angeles at the turn of the century. And um, following her conversation and subsequent sanctification, our founder, Florence Crawford, she was wonderfully filled with the Holy Ghost. And in those meetings, she was prompted by the Holy Spirit to begin to evangelize, and she did that. She went outside of the area of Los Angeles. And for those of you that have the handout that I mentioned to you before, you could follow along. Many of you don't, and so I'd like to read it to you from here to give you some historical context with which this is uh, considered. Um, let me read you this short paragraph. A short time after Florence Crawford's visit to Portland at the end of 1906, the pastor of the group meeting in the blacksmith shop offered to turn his church over to Florence Crawford. It would be her church. The church would then become the Apostolic Faith Mission of Portland, Oregon. During the gospel outreach to Minneapolis, God spoke to her saying, if you will go back to Portland, Oregon and stay there, I will make that place the headquarters of the apostolic faith work, and I will raise up the standard of the gospel in that city. God's plan was unmistakable. And in 1908, Florence Crawford gave up her home in Los Angeles and moved to Portland. Now, she was called by God. She was um, given this charge by God. And let me read you this with regard to that specifically. And these uh, it's also in the handout, and these are the words of Brother Ray, her son, who uh, succeeded her in leading uh, our church. It says, Brother Ray Crawford gives this account of his mother's call. One morning when the thousands in the great city of Los Angeles were stirring themselves for their slumber to take up their daily routine, a definite call came to her. Distinctly, she heard these words. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Though she did not know how she could ever reach the whole world with the gospel message, she began to consecrate and make preparations to fulfill her responsibility. Everything seemed to be against her leaving Los Angeles at that time. The minister of the Azusa Street Church did not see how he could spare her from the meetings, but she remarked that if God was truly calling her, he would make the fact plain. One day as she sat meditating on her call, it seemed a door open before her, revealing a radiant, the radiant light of heaven. God spoke to her, saying, and this is the verse that I read to you in, uh, from Revelation 3.8, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. She immediately responded, I will go, God. I will walk through that open door. Years later, she remarked, I don't know what suffering, heartache, and reproach would follow me answering that call, but I had said that I would go, and I kept my word. So that, in a nutshell, is virtually everything that by God's help I'd like to bring to your attention tonight. So much of everything that we understand about how God calls a person and how they should respond 
is really embodied in this uh, short narrative that I read. I think um, you'll find as we go along, those of you that have felt God's call, that you can relate to not only what she said here, but what Scripture speaks to us with regard to this. So this concept of a divine call, a call to service, it it isn't a result of anybody's own personal dreams or ambitions. It's a desire that God places within us. Uh, It's a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action and should be only acted upon when one is compelled by divine influence to act upon it. So it's not something that we manufacture in ourselves, but it's something that comes from God above, that divine influence that compels us to act. A lot of times we equate this with the call to preach. And I, I can understand that. But look, everyone that is in Christ is called by him. Everyone is called to serve. The office that you're called to, the the, uh, um, activity that God is compelling you to uh, conduct, the the choice and the path that you're led upon could be different from one person to the next, but that's that's in order and that's supported by Scripture because um, in Scripture it first was as a body. Uh, uh, The group of Christians is... Uh, on the whole is considered to be the body of Christ and we all have different functions in just as the uh, body parts have different functions. So it's natural that we would all have different functions. So it isn't that we're simply talking about being called to preach. We are being called to serve. That's what this is about, being called to serve. And God assigns the task and unique gifts to every individual to work together for his glory. So as followers of Christ, we're called to serve. That's our calling. We're called to serve and to do whatever he calls us to do, wherever, whatever, to the best of our ability. That's the point of this. So it's not about attaining some elevated position. It's about fitting into God's plan and fulfilling his intent for us to honor him to the glory of his name. That's the purpose. So, God has called us to be fully alive. Ephesians 2, uh, 2, 1. Let me read you this. Uh, and he hath quickened, and you he hath quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins. So, uh, we're quickened. We're made alive. Something is transformed within us, and we are, we're not what we were. We were dead in sin. We are made alive in Christ. Now, in that, um, chapter 2 of Ephesians, it continues on in verse 4 about us being quickened. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewithin he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ, by grace we are are saved, and hath raised us up together, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are to live And we are to grow in faith. We're to serve the church. We are, which is the body of Christ. We're to serve the church together. And we're to point people to Christ the Savior by displaying good works that he's created in us. That's the essence of what we do. That's the overriding thing. That's the umbrella under which we operate under. And then from that point on, then we talk about being particularly called to serve. 
I made a list of a few of the people who were called in the word of God to serve. God called Noah to build an ark to save a remnant of creation. God called Abraham and Sarah when they were old to leave their home and go on a journey to found a new nation. God called Moses from the burning bush to lead a nation out of bondage. God called the boy Samuel as he served Eli in the house of the Lord. God called Esther, telling her that she was made for a moment like this. God called Jonah, the reluctant prophet, who spent a few days in the belly of a whale. God called Mary, a teenage girl, to give birth to the Savior. God called Peter and Andrew to be fishers of men. They were fishers of fish, but he called them to be fishers of men while they were casting their nets by the seashore. God called Saul on the road to Damascus and set him on a path to bring the Gentiles the good news of salvation. Of course, you know, I cite a list like this, and it could give you the impression that every call comes in a dramatic fashion, that it comes in a way to notable people at a in a in an incredibly dramatic way. And it plays out subsequently into epic circumstances. So every call is something that's really dramatic, and it turns out to be this epic thing that occurs. But in actuality, for most of us, it doesn't come like a light from heaven, brighter than the noonday sun, like it did for Paul. In reality, the call of God is typically very personal, and it's typically a private encounter that informs us of God's direction for us to be his servant. Personal, private, probably isn't going to be uh, anything historical written about us and the thing that we accomplished. But that doesn't mean that it isn't a value. It's a precious thing because it's what God communicates to each and every one of us on a personal level. And it's heartfelt. You know what I'm talking about when you consider it, that when God reached into your heart, it was, it was a very wonderful and personal experience where you felt his guidance, his direction, his interest in you to do his will uh, in his way. Consider for a moment uh, a man in the Bible that has a couple of books written after him on, uh, with his name on them, but he didn't write the book. Uh, who we know a little bit about, but not enough to determine uh, all the things that we'd like to know. His name's Timothy. In the book of God, in the New Testament, in the epistles of Paul, there are two letters written to a man by the name of Timothy. A young man is what we assume based on the way that Paul phrases his comments to him in that record. But in those two books... Paul gives some him, him some instruction. And consider Timothy for just a minute. We don't have any record of any books that Timothy wrote. And we have no personal account of Timothy saying how he was converted, nor do we have any account of how Timothy was called to service. And yet, without a doubt, he was a very important component part of the body of Christ during that time frame. And we know that, that even though his call was a private call, both to salvation and to service, 
they were very meaningful. Meaningful enough that Paul reminded him of this in 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Timothy, I want to remind you that there's a charge that's been committed to you to fight a good fight. He says in 2 Timothy 2.13, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in thee. Charge him. I want you to do these things. One more verse. From 2.1, 2 Timothy 2.1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, whom shall be able to teach others also. So this man, Timothy, that we know not a lot about from him personally, was charged to be strong, to be faithful, and to take that which had been committed unto him and pass it on to others. He had a legacy because of the call of God on his life. And uh, we would assume that he was absolutely faithful in that. He had an excellent background from a heritage standpoint. He had an absolutely marvelous mentor in Paul the Apostle. And we uh, believe, of course, that Timothy was faithful in just the way that uh, Paul asked him to be. You know, like Timothy, most of us feel compelled to serve God in a particular way. He happened to be in the pastoral role. And practically speaking, we will all be called by God to follow after him. It'll be deeply personal, but it'll be compelling. And then at that particular point, Once that call comes to us, it typically uh, follows about four four steps. From just from observation, from experience, uh, I'd like to share those four steps with you and uh, see if you can't relate to them tonight. The four steps uh, that bring definition to us, as we're considering what we're being asked to do, is the first thing happens is revelation. The second thing is resistance. The third is recognition. And the fourth is responsibility. Revelation is when we get a clear glimpse of what God is calling us to do or to be. We have this understanding, this revelation. This is what God wants us to do. Typically, that's followed by resistance. A face filled with self-doubt on about how to proceed. The third is recognition. We seek advice from trusted friends or mentors. As we do that, God's voice becomes clearer and we feel compelled to respond. And then finally, in the fourth phase, responsibility, we we become defined by our faithfulness to what the Lord is causing, what the Lord is doing through us. So we become defined by the faithfulness that we have towards the call of God. So that's just the framework that I'd like to build this next uh, part on. Uh, And we're going to illustrate these steps by adding some color to this outline so that it isn't just dry uh, steps uh, that we go through. So let's talk about that. Now, I talked about earlier that 
that when I listed the different people in the Bible that had these uh, marvelous calls, that they tended to be dramatic and ours are not so dramatic. But if we're going to be illustrating some of these calls by using the Word of God, we're going to have to go back to the dramatic because that's essentially what the Bible does is, you know, they're amazing stories. They're wonderful. They're compelling and they're noteworthy. And since they're noteworthy, they're memorable. So uh, let's talk about these and with the full understanding that there's going to be some drama involved in some of these uh, examples. The first uh, step that we typically go through is, as I mentioned, revelation. That's where we get a clear glimpse of what God is calling us to do. Among the more dramatic accounts recorded in conjunction with uh, a revelation experience actually is in the Christmas story. As we were going through the Christmas season, uh, this just popped out at me as I was considering this part of Scripture that has to do with the Christmas story. And I know we're past Christmas, but I'd like to go back to December for just a little bit here and use part of that story in order to illustrate what revelation can be like in the lives of an individual. Um, there are several revelation events in the Christmas story. This one, I think, uh, uh, comes to my mind because it comes to some ordinary people. These weren't people that were particularly high in society. These weren't people that were particularly notable in nature. But it was an incredible calling that came to them. And so let's read from Luke 2. Uh, just a few verses, 8 through 10. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing, which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. All right. Can you imagine a more amazing way to get God's, get the call to do God's bidding? Imagine yourself there for just a moment. Shepherds receiving this revelation in this direct and memorable way. They're sitting out on this, uh, in this field. I don't know if it was on a hillside or in a valley. We really don't know for sure. Many people think that it was in a bit of a valley because Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem is set up on a, on a higher place. So they probably had to make a journey upward, go towards Bethlehem. But regardless of whether it was in a valley or on the side of a hill, they were out in a field. And it tells us they were tending their flocks by night. It was a typical evening tending sheep. Some guys out there, possibly around a campfire, trying to stay warm in the evening. And we don't know anything more about these individuals that receive this incredible message. We don't know their names. 
you don't know how, don't know how many there are. I don't, they're really, even in spite of our Sunday school Christmas program that typically identifies one of them as Abner, we don't even know if there was an Abner out on the hillside. It was probably just a bunch of no-name shepherds. And all of a sudden, something incredible happens. An angel appears out of the dark. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but when your solitude and quiet in a dark place is broken by something that is sudden and startling, it just, it has to be disturbing. Kim was out of town a few weeks ago, uh, uh, helping her mother move. And I was in the house by myself for a week. No big deal. Don't make anything big out of that. It, it's, it's not an unusual occasion, occurrence in our household for Kim to be away or for me to be away and she's alone. But one evening, uh, I happened to be in, sitting, uh, and it was, most of the lights were off in the house and, uh, I was, it was quiet and all of a sudden, it sounded like somebody was in the house. And I thought to myself, did I set the alarm? No, I don't think I did. And then I thought to myself, oh no, I left the garage door open. I have this problem. We have two buttons, two different garage doors, and I happened to be parking on Kim's side of the garage while she was gone, and so I think maybe instinctively, instead of closing the door, I pushed the button, and I probably ended up with both doors open. And I thought, oh no, I left, I pushed the wrong button. I tried not to do that, but I probably did it. And now somebody's in the house. And I mean, I was really on edge. It was it was an unsettling situation. Well, it wasn't that way. I didn't set the alarm. I was smart enough that evening to push the right button so the garage door was closed. But it was that unsettling feeling about the with some that I felt like somebody was there that, sh- that shouldn't be there. In the case of these shepherds, somebody was there that shouldn't have been there. And not only was it just uh, an individual that, you know, could have been like, it could have been just any other person. It wasn't a human being. It was an angel. And that angel came with an incredible message that something, um, something happened, a birth had taken place, and the Savior was born, and that Savior was born in the city of Bethlehem. And then, with, along with those instructions came a directive that they were to go and see this thing that had occurred. And then after the message was delivered, all the heavens burst open, and it was sheer chaos, if for lack of a better word, where all of a sudden there's angels all around them singing and praising God. And then after all of that, they left. And the shepherds were all alone. And that was, and they received a message from God. And so it tells us in uh, this passage that I read that uh, they said one to another that they should go now into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. In that text where it says, said one to another, I did a little research on that, and that phrase is a um, is a tense of a continuing uh, saying one to another. They didn't just say, hey, we ought to go. It's like they kept saying it over and over and over again as if they're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get this done? We were just told by this angel, 
and all of these angels that we have to go down to the city and we, we, we got to see this thing and we're being called to do this thing and we don't know anything about it except for the fact that we're supposed to go. And uh, how are we going to do this? Okay, um, maybe they split up and then some of them decided to go and some of them decided to stay or, or who was going to get to go and who was going to have to stay or maybe they were all going to go and just leave the sheep behind because this is so incredible and we all need to go. We don't know anything about that, but it says that there was just a lot of dialogue going on there and that they went into Jerusalem, or into Bethlehem, excuse me, to see this thing which has come to pass. Now, this word thing is translated, is, is the word rema, which is translated uh, better into the word reality. It isn't just some thing, that random thing. It is some reality, this thing that, that, that they have been uh, told is a new reality that they were exposed to, that they had never heard of anything like this before. It was a message from God. This thing was a message from God. And they obeyed the directive. These shepherds decided that they were not just going to hear a message, but that they were going to act on it. And it was um, uh, their decision to go. And they went, and then they found exactly what they were told that they would see. And it was, uh, and it says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. They made known abroad. They testified. So these men, out on a hillside, there were just shepherds, no names, not distinguished individuals, received a mighty command from the Lord to go and do something, to go and to see this child. And when they did, it absolutely transformed their life experience. It says that they told it abroad. And you just have to imagine that this became the most important message on these men's lips for the rest of their lives. They had seen and heard something that nobody had ever seen and heard before. One of the most fantastic events that ever occurred in the history of the world, Christ the Savior being born, was told first to these plain, ordinary men who received a call to go. And then did what they were told to do. They told it abroad. They'd had a revelation from God and it absolutely changed their lives. So it starts with this. It starts with a revelation. But once you receive a message that you should do something, we don't always feel comfortable with it. When it comes to us as an individual, Sometimes we have a bit of resistance. And this shouldn't be considered to be a negative step in the process. You know, it's a natural, it's a natural, um, uh, it's a natural feeling in a person who is uh, walking before the Lord to have uh, a sense of their own personal limitations. It isn't a negative thing to have a bit of resistance. When you have a heart that is sold out to the Lord, you want to do everything that you can in order to please him. But you understand your own limitations. You're just aware of those and you're reminded them. Consider, consider Moses for just a minute. He's a really good example of somebody you know, that, uh, it, that uh, personifies this resistance phase. Uh, we know about Moses. He was born with a purpose. Born to a couple in, uh, in an Isra- Israeli family. While they were in bondage down in Egypt, the decree had gone out that male babies were to be killed and his parents tried to preserve his life by 
putting him in a little ark of bulrushes in a river to hide him from uh, those that would destroy him. And then he was found by Pharaoh's daughter when he was out there, when she was out there bathing, took him into her own house because she had mercy and pity on this beautiful little child that she'd found uh, by the riverside. She brought him in. She raised him as her own son. He was educated in the courts of Pharaoh and uh, must have become aware that there was some sort of a call on his life. He recognized that he had the education. He then became aware of uh, his heritage because his mother was called in to help nurse him and to raise him through the formative years of his life. And uh, he must have felt that he was somebody that God had called in order to do something in God's name. But he got, he, he got in the way himself and he took matters into his own hands when he was trying to defend somebody that was an Israelite and he committed murder. And he had to flee Egypt in order to save his life. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep while God taught him a lesson about being humble and the right way to serve. Not to serve in his own strength, but to serve in God's strength. And when the call came to him after 40 years out there in a burning bush as he was walking out on a hillside and he was called to go and work for the Lord and to deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians, he resisted. He was a totally different man after 40 years than he was in, the, in that prior period in his life when he thought that he could do it in his own strength. We don't despise or look down on Moses for resisting because while God is great, we can see that there was a... He, he realized that he, he saw his own limitations. He says, I don't have the skill to do this. I'm not able to do it. So God didn't, uh, didn't get after him. He didn't deride him. He, didn't, he supported him by telling him, then I understand you see your limitations. I am going to give you the tools in order to do what I'm calling you to do. And as, after a period of God reasoning with him, he embraced the fact that God would go before him and he went into uh, the house of Pharaoh and he began to advocate on the behalf of the Israeli people. You know, God uses in the most effective way those people who realize that God will work through them rather than though they realizing that they're going to do something for God. The ones that are the most effective are the ones that allow God to work through them. So a little bit of resistance at the beginning that helps us to understand that it isn't about us, that it's about God working through us, ends up being uh, a story of great victory because God, in the end, will receive all the honor and all the glory for what is accomplished in his name. We know all about Peter. We read about him in the Gospels, and we have a couple of epistles written by him. And he's one that experienced real challenges in his life when he was called to follow God. And he had a desire to follow the Lord and oftentimes just got in his own way. But he clearly understood after a period of time serving the Lord that serving is all about bringing glory to God. And we know that Peter came to this realization after stumbling along for so long when we read these words in 1 Peter 4. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth him, that all things may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Peter got it. He understood that it wasn't about what he would accomplish. It was about what God would accomplish through him. So we have uh, a little bit of revelation. We have revelation. We have a little bit of resistance. And that follows recognition. That's when the voice of God becomes clearer. That we feel compelled to respond and we start to investigate about how we should do that. Proverbs 11, uh, Proverbs 1 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. And in Proverbs 11 14 it says, Where there is, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. So it's a good thing in this um, unfolding uh, walk with the Lord as we determine His call for us that we enter into this phase of recognition and we look for um, some advice along the way and some help from others that can be helpful to us. Just from a personal experience, I remember in the early days when I was young and trying to determine where God was leading me and how He wanted to use me, I asked people that I really had confidence in, that I trusted, you know, what does the call of God mean? What is it all about? How, how do you how do you know it's God calling and, and it isn't just a figment of, of my own imagination. I, I asked questions like that and, and I asked it to people that I really trusted and people that I knew were godly and who had um, my best interests in mind and, and asked for some counsel and they were very kind and very helpful. Uh, I remember at one point I felt like I needed my pastor's uh, direction uh, even though I was not quite sure I was ready to enter into that phase per se because I felt like if I spoke to him I could kind of be tipping my hand a little bit and then you know he might uh, get some ideas and I didn't want to get ahead of God's plan by uh, you know kind of leading leading along leading him along but I just was just confused a little bit and I remember I just wasn't exactly sure what direction to go so my pastor at that time was brother Carver and uh I decided that after a church service that I would just ask him a few questions about, you know, the call of God. And uh, when I was preparing to go approach him, he was already talking to somebody else. So he was on the platform in the tabernacle having this conversation. And so I kind of stood off on the side in the wings and just kind of was patiently waiting out of his eyesight to, for that conversation to end. And I was gonna, my intention was to slip in there and uh, and ask him a couple questions and hopefully get out of there feeling good about it. But uh, uh, while I was standing there, uh, a friend of mine, brother in Christ, Brother Dwight Paulsell, uh, who was our youth leader at the time, was uh, came up and he was going to be asking, he wanted to ask Brother Carver a question as well. And so he was kind of like in line behind me, waiting off in the wings. And so while we were standing there, you know, I just, I look, I just said to him, I says, uh, Dwight, you know, when, when God called you to preach, did, what did you do about that? And uh, you know, he said, well, he said, I, I figured that if it was the Lord's call, he'd work it out. So I just decided just to just wait patiently and, and just uh, 
let him work it out. And, and that was my answer. I said, great. So I said, I'm leaving. And so I just, I said that I'm going to, I'm going to take his, his course of action. And, and I just, uh, uh, left him and I don't know whatever happened with this conversation with Brother Carver then, but that was my answer at the time. Again, we have this, uh, recognition that we, uh, need to follow and want to follow the Lord, but we want to do it in just the right way. So we take the time to do some prayerful consideration and seeking of counsel. So it starts with revelation. It goes through a bit of resistance, uh, after revelation resistance comes recognition and then the fourth step in this uh in this process is what uh we would call responsibility and in responsibility we've accepted that call and god is leading us in the way that we should go and we become defined by our faithfulness to that which the lord is doing through us we become defined by our faithfulness uh not by anything that we do or accomplish the the we're defined by our faithfulness, that whatever we've been asked to do, we're faithful in doing it. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5.1, Be ye followers of Christ as dear children. It says, Be ye therefore followers of Christ as dear children. That word followers could also be translated imitators. So let me just say it this way. Be ye therefore imitators of God as Dear children, we are to imitate God. How do we imitate God? We be like Him. We consider what God is like. And in our life, in order to be responsible in our call to God, we be like Him. And so what is God like? God is faithful. That if you're going to say, look, define God. If there's one thing that God is, He's faithful. He's described as the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. No variation or shadow of turning. He's utterly faithful to his word. He's utterly faithful to his promises. And he's utterly faithful to us, humanity, the crown of his creation. He is faithful. So if God sets the bar at faithfulness, our responsibility is to be faithful. We are to imitate him. We are to do and be like him, we're to be faithful. So, who's called? As you wrap this up, let's consider who is called. The answer is all of us. Each and every one, those that are saved and serving the Lord, are called by him to service. In 2 Timothy 1.9 it says, Who hath who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So, he says, we are saved by grace and we're called for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God through faithfulness in the winning of souls. There is nothing that brings more glory to God than, than as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and souls are one for the kingdom. That is God's desire. It's his only plan for reaching the lost is that he would reach them through us so we fulfill our call in the Lord when what we do has an effect towards the salvation of souls.
So we're all called. And we're all on a path. This is the life journey that the Lord's placed us on. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 10th verse says, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Walk worthy of God. You're on a path of service. We're all on a path of service. And so we want to walk worthy of that path. We faithfully execute that which God has called us to do so that we walk worthy. Paul the Apostle declared this to the Philippians. And their words that inspired, that were inspirational, I'm sure, to them, but they also inspire us today. He said this in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark. I'm on this journey but I'm not taking it leisurely. I am pushing it. I am pressing. I see the value in it. And I am going to do all that I can to be what God wants me to be uh, as I walk this calling that he's called us to walk. And finally, uh, we're to stay true. You know, it's going to take a bit of grit in order to stay true. And it's going to take purpose of heart. But we must be resolute. We At times, it's not going to be easy. At times, it's going to uh, be a difficult path. And we're going to have to stay focused on not ourselves, but focused on God and His desire for us. Just a couple of verses. We'll close this up in Second Thessalonians 2. It says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Hold fast what you've been taught. We've been taught good things. We have a wonderful heritage. That's why we're having a lesson, these this lesson series on our heritage. We value it. It's meaningful to us. So therefore, we want to hold fast the, what we have been taught the traditions that we have learned, the gospel that's been given unto us, we want to hold fast. So uh, we can take the advice from Peter. In Second Peter, he says, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we do this, if we heed the call, if we are faithful to the end, we will have an abundant entrance into our heavenly abode. No, God is faithful. He is good. He has blessed. He called people years ago. He's still calling people today. I know I'm not in a young people's meeting. I know that there are people here that have not only accepted the call, but have led the charge. Those that have been examples to us. And we want to be doing exactly the same. We want to live our lives in the light of God's direction for us and be faithful 
unto the end. And may God help us to do that.